Welcome back to another episode of Being an Artist is Fucking Killing Me. I'm Corinne. And I'm Rainy. Happy Tuesday. Happy Pod Day. Welcome. How are you, Rainy? I'm good, Corinne. How are you? I'm good. Anything new? Anything exciting? Nothing new, nothing exciting. Just nothing? Busy. Just... May is busy. May is busy. It feels crazy. We were just talking to our guests about that. Just like everybody came out of the woodwork and everybody's like, feels like trying to make up for lost time. Yep, exactly. It's like we forgot, like, after two years of nothing, spring is new beginnings, busyness. Mm-hmm. It's crazy. End of quarters, beginning of quarters, it's bananas. <laughs> so many things. So many things. Um, are you done comp season yet? Uh uh-uh. uh. I'm not. Um, I'm not done. There's still tons of comps. This is life. <laughs> busy with rehearsals and um everything yeah so yeah crazy but um we do have election information for you we said we would do better um if you have not received your voter information card in the mail from elections ontario yet you can go to elections.on.ca to request it especially if you've moved that's where you request it if your writing has changed um, that's where you go. You can vote by mail. You can do an early vote at a returning office. You can vote early at an advanced poll, which will change obviously by your writing. But if you're voting early at a return office, it's the TD Canada Trust Building. And it's Monday to Sunday, May 8th, May 15th, May 29th. Um, if that made any sense, please look it up if I f- sound like I'm rambling. Um, and your early advanced poll is basically the 19th to the 28th. The dates just change based on the center of your writing. Mm -hmm. So figure that out. The vote is Thursday, June 2nd. The conservatives still had a lead in the polls, which is not... Everywhere in Ontario except for Toronto. Toronto Center. (laughs) (laughs) Which is, you know, the most NDP-leaning writing in all of Canada, but... Yeah, more you know. the most, I would say, non-conservative writing, yes. <laughs> yeah. Um, so please vote. Please, please take the time to learn about your writing, to learn about the candidates, to learn where to vote, to make sure that you have time to vote on the second. Um, votethemout.ca if you want to know what the strategic vote is, if you're worried. Um, even though we don't like strategic voting, but that's the system that we live in right now. Um, that's all I got. Yeah. Vote. Go vote. Vote. We have three more episodes left before our season finale. Three with our season finale. Yes, yeah. exactly. Yeah. Um, so let us know what you thought of the season. Let us know what you thought of our guest. Let us know if you have any suggestions for guests, suggestions for guests for next year. Yeah. Um, give us a heads up. Give us a high five. All of the things. Instagram is a great place to reach out. Galpopprods. Galpopprods at gmail.com if you want to send us an email. Um, Always open to hearing from you. Love to hear from you. Yes. Yeah. This week we have Sadie. Sadie. Ugh. We have sweet, sweet Sadie. Recent York graduate in the middle of a pandemic from from the dance department. Mm -hmm. Currently working for York um, in recruitment. Dancer teacher, all of the things artist. Yeah, here we go. I immediately want to talk about how you graduated in like the craziest time. The worst time of the pandemic. Okay, yeah. So basically like, I want to say it was like March 15th-ish, like around whenever they declared it was a pandemic. And then three days later, all the universities started closing and the like like businesses started saying like, okay, we're going to move our employees to home. And so I had three weeks left in my degree and I had like a choreography gig lined up. I had a performance gig lined up. I had all these plans. I'd attended like the transition conventions. I was like, these are all the steps to success and who, yeah. And then the entire industry closed down and was like, we're never going to be the same. And I was like, oh, okay. Yeah. <laughs> and so like, it was interesting because like, I, obviously every artist felt rocked by that. But like, I feel like my cohort had not even a single chance to start. Mm-hmm. We had nothing kind of pre-existing to like go back to or even kind of say like, well, you know, I've maybe done one project and then the world shut down, but I still have those connections and that experience from that project to then propel me once we can start doing things again. Mm-hmm. But I felt like an infant that mm-hmm. had like no experience, nothing, even though I just did obviously like a full degree, but 
a lot of people consider that like your pre-career. And so I was just like, I don't know how I'm supposed to start from scratch now that I'm out of shape, out of like creative mind. The whole world is different. There's like a limited amount of artistic opportunities to begin with. Yep. But now it's like a fraction of that. And yeah. everyone at every level is competing for them. So I was like, I might as well just like go back in bed, mm-hmm. covers over, not even try. <laughs> yeah. And it's hard to like it feels like what happens is like you are so hungry coming out of university. You're like, just want to work. You just are willing to like take as many chances and take risks. And as an artist and those opportunities, just like you can dull your hunger almost because yeah, you know, like it feels like as an artist, you can just like sit back because you can't because it's COVID and you can't work. And then you come out of it two years later and you're like, oh my gosh, like, do I still want the things that I wanted when I left? Well, that was interesting too, because Mm -hmm. I feel like I'd spent my whole degree with like learning from professional artists who were like, you know, this is how you take your degree and become a professional artist. So I was like, okay, do dance degree, become dancer, good. And then I kind of did the whole COVID, you know, you're forced to explore new things. You have a lot of time to think you can't run away from like yourself and then I realized I was like well what do I think I have to do and what do I want to do Mm -hmm. and that was a very scary question Mm -hmm. and also realizing that I had kind of these preconceived made up expectations of like this is what you need to do to be taken seriously as an artist Mm -hmm. these are the ways in which you can be an artist and if you're not doing these then you're not an artist Mm -hmm. and so I was kind of like well I can either be an artist or I can't and if I'm not doing something right now that means I'm not an artist but I just spent the last four years becoming an artist to do an arts career and now I can't do that so I'm nothing right and that was really hard as well what were some of the preconceived notions that you were struggling with so I think like just in general and I'm sure other people can relate to this like I feel like I have these like set up things that I define success by and even not even like they're always tangible things I just know that what I'm doing is not them if that makes sense So like, I'll be like, well, if I'm not working, that means that I'm already a step behind from people who are working. And so that means that I am never going to work in the future. Mm. And so I had kind of set up these rules or steps to success. And like, this is the proper path to being an artist. And the second I couldn't follow like step one, I was like, well, I'm thrown off the entire path and there's no other way to it. Yeah. And so that was a lot of it, like kind of thinking, but then like all or nothing, all or nothing. And then also like making up these like arbitrary rules that don't exist, that are just coming straight out of my insecurities Mm -hmm. that I'm like governing myself through and thinking like, oh, these people can tell that I'm not reaching success. Meanwhile, everybody else is having their own personal dilemmas being like, I'm not reaching success. No one's caring about me. Mm-hmm. No one's looking at me being like, wow, Sadie sucks. No, but I think that they do. Everybody's too focused on themselves to notice anything like that. Well, my favorite quote from Shit's Creek is uh, when Alexis says to David, like, nobody cares about you as much as you think they do. Mm-hmm. And it's so liberating because yeah. I feel like I live my whole life like on this like fake, you know, main character, like everyone's watching every move I make and mm-hmm. I have to kind of keep up this facade that I know what I'm doing and like <laughs> I'm a success and blah, 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 blah. And then I'm breaking on the inside being like, they know I'm a failure. And I'm like, they're not even looking at me. Like, and also like people are going to talk trash. <laughs> yeah, well that too. And like people are bored and people are going to like yeah. say what they want and like make their own judgments and whatever. And everyone like I'm talking about like, you know, everything's coming out of my insecurities, but yeah. all those things come out of their insecurities. And right. like, totally. I remember to have more empathy for people as well and know that if they are, not that they even are saying anything, but if they are saying anything, it's less to do about me and more to do about them. Yes. Exactly. And that's a hard thing to learn. Exactly. Especially when, you know, we all have that narcissistic tendency about we are the main character and everything that happens is about me. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but I'm like, and it's often the negative side of things, but it's still nar- narcissism. Like I'm still very much thinking like, well, everything I do has an impact on people's lives, but like, no, it doesn't. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I can do whatever I want. I can fail a me- like a million times and no one's going to know or care. Yeah. And even if they do see it, they're not going to think it's this insane, huge, life-shattering deal like I do, Yeah. which is mm-hmm. crazy. Yeah. Um, what you said about like the people being in contract and you feeling behind mm-hmm. is so interesting because we are like bred in university to think like you do this contract and then you do this contract mm-hmm. and you have all these contracts. But what you realize is that like your entire life is just you lucidly going in and out yes. of contracts yes. Like, yes. and working a lot to working a little bit to like yes. working overworking to like not working enough. Yes. And I have a huge struggle with the whole idea of like even like monetizing artistry and like how it is so easy when you do that to fall into that like capitalistic idea of like, 
I must identify myself with the way that I make money and contribute to society. Like, we spend yes. so much time identifying ourselves by our profession. Mm -hmm. And so, like, even, like, reality shows, you see, like, they have, like, the person, and it will say, like, their name, their age, and their job. And so, like, yes. the second that I feel like I'm not actively working as an artist, I've now kind of, like, lost the ability to separate that from me as a person. Mm -hmm. So then I just kind of float in the abyss. And I'm right. just like, well, I just, you know, I'm faking it till I make it until I have that next six week contract and I do that it's the best six weeks of my life and mm. then it stops again and then I'm floating in the abyss again this when reality it's it is a lot of like to and from yeah, and yeah. in between and just making things putting them together and just going I think this is something that Susanna said when she talked about like after she finished the trilogy and she was so wrapped up in the identity of that playmaking that she's like it's really actually very harmful for us to only wrap ourselves up in our job because then when we're not doing it, what are we? We are nothing. Yeah. Which is like, I think part of the, the what you just said, the capitalist problem of like always identifying with our job or this idea of like, do what you love and you'll never work a day in your life. I hate that. Yeah. I hate that because it's, even just the whole concept of like, as human beings, like we're not supposed to be working all the time. No. We're we not. We work too much as is. We're not supposed, and it doesn't matter if what it is, you should not be doing one thing for the majority of your life. Yeah. Like as human beings, we need multiple like kind of like methods of stimulation and passions and interests and connections. And so like, it doesn't matter what you're doing, but if you're putting all of your eggs into one basket, you're doing something wrong. Mm -hmm. So like, it doesn't matter if you love what you're doing and you're spending like 80 hours a week doing it, you're still missing out on all the other things that you could be kind of like holistically creating is like your whole personal mm -hmm. image, I guess. But it's crazy. Like, and I think about it with artists, I think it's so easy to fall victim to that because when you're something like an engineer, let's say, like I'm not an engineer, I don't know a lot of engineers, but I don't think that they go home and they think, well, how, here's are all oh, the ways that the I'm going to continue, you know, engineering after home. Like they're able to kind of separate it a little easier because they maybe didn't grow up with the only passion being engineering. Like maybe they also play a sport and that's not necessarily tied, a hobby, right? <laughs> so like when you have a hobby that became your passion, which became your method of income, then you don't know what else there is to you. And like, there's no it more comes your entire personality exactly. trait. Exactly. But then, like people yeah. that are accountants, their entire personality trait is that they're an accountant. Exactly, right? You know? It's crazy, the difference. Also, that if it is sounds boring. boring. <laughs> okay, well, yeah, I don't want to hang out with that person. But that's the whole thing. And then like, I was like, well, I can't just be one thing. And like, it doesn't matter what that thing is, but I need to, and I think the pandemic really kind of exposed all of us for that because once the main thing that we do and identify ourselves with wasn't attainable, we all just kind of sat there like twiddling our thumbs being like, well, I guess I make some sourdough now. Again, I don't know. It honestly made me realize how little hobbies I <laughs> yeah, had. Yeah, it's crazy. And how yeah. and everything that I've ever done in my adult life has been to monetize mm -hmm. what things that I love. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And only, I would say, in the last like six months have I found hobbies that I'm actively yep. trying not to make a job. Yes, mm -hmm. that's and, a huge one. And when I when I think about it, when I think like, oh, I could do this, because Rainy took us or took me and a bunch of girlfriends to pole, a pole dancing lesson for I my birthday, that. which was so fun, and I've wanted to try for so long, and I've been taking classes weekly ever since. And I'm like, I could, I could compete. I could do this. I feel like if I put mm -hmm. more, t if I was here like five hours a week, I could do this. And then I had to actively be like, no. no. Why do you want to go down a path yeah. that, A, you have no idea if you could. Mm. You're just thinking that because you're like, A, loving it so much or feel like, feeling like you're good at it. Who knows if you're actually good at it, like professionally. Um, why do you want to turn something that you like into a job? Why I have do you to feel like, the need to? Yes. And I had to act, like every time I think about it, I have to actively stop myself mm -hmm. and going like one hour a week is fine. Loving that one hour a week is fine. Yep. You do not need to join a team. You do not need yeah. to join like anything. But it's crazy how you feel the need to without even making that conscious decision. Like yeah. you're just immediately pressured to. And like my mom was very good about like kind of instilling that in me because she has a lot of passions that she purposefully doesn't monetize. Like mm -hmm. she does photography and she like uh, loves to bake. So she, even mm -hmm. when I was in high school, she used to make a lot of like um, like really fun, fancy cakes for like our bake sales and things like mm -hmm. that. And people would always say, well, why don't you sell these? And she goes, because then it doesn't become fun. Yeah. Then it becomes uh, money. Like it's, yep. it means nothing to me. It's just about fulfilling an order and like contributing more to the economy. And that's not why I make cake. And so it's very mm -hmm. interesting that we feel like, and that's the first thing people will say when you start doing something good or you start uh, having a new interest, they'll say, well, oh, you should start selling those or, oh, you should start like marketing this or you should like market yes. yourself this way. And I'm like, well, why? Like, why is everyone's first instinct to make money? 
Yes. Well, we know why, because Our, capitalism rules everything. But right. And yes. shit's expensive. And well, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. But, but it's like, it it's also like this TikTok trend of like having a zillion side hustles. Uh, like, look yeah. at all my Hustle ways culture, that I make yeah. passive income. I was like, no income is passive. Like, And like 95% <laughs> of them are MLMs anyway. Yeah. <laughs> like, it's so true. I mean, like 99% of them, good Lord. And they're coming up with new ones every day. Wait, yeah, so what's an MLM? Marketing, multi-level marketing. Like pyramid scheme. Oh, pyramid scheme. Yeah. okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, they just don't like, call what? them pyramid schemes yeah. anymore. Because, because pyramid schemes are rebrand. So it's like, it's not a pyramid scheme. It's an MLM. And because pyramid schemes are actually legal. Yeah. But yeah. MLMs aren't, even though they're basically just a rebranded pyramid scheme. Yes. So like if you draw it out, it's a pyramid. Yeah. <laughs> but they yeah. don't want to tell you that it is. But yeah. it's yes. crazy. And like that's, yeah, it's very interesting how I immediately was. And that the other side of things is that when I do try something, if I'm not immediately good at it, I get frustrated. Because oh, yes. I'm like, well, yeah. obviously everyone can relate to. But I think it becomes from that method of like you need to get good at it so that you can do something with it. Yes. Right? Versus why don't you just do it because you enjoy it, mm -hmm. not because you need to be good at it or because you need to progress in it in a way that others see you mm. as a, like a um, champion in that field or a way that people can like, you can excel in that way. Like you can just do painting because you like the calmness it brings you and because you like to have a creative outlet, not because you need to eventually become a, such a good painter that you can sell business card or uh, watercolor, like, Greeting cards Prince. or whatever. Yeah, I'm yeah, whatever. Prince. <laughs> Hello, I'm not a painter. <laughs> but it's just crazy. Like, it's interesting. And so I've really tried to do that. And I think, like, surrounding myself also with people who are more attuned to the slow living culture and, like, mm -hmm. really just, like you were saying earlier, like, you don't have to start a contract, end a contract, and then the next day start a new contract. Mm -hmm. You can just take things as they come and just let life happen to you mm -hmm. instead of making life happen for you, mm -hmm. if that makes any sense. Yeah. It does. It's very tiring. Yeah. It's exhausting. Like, it's also like that girl boss hustle culture. It's like build a life that you want to yeah. make or live, which is like cool. Like, yes. In theory. But also like you're allowed to take breaks and it's allowed to stop and start and yeah. it's not always linear yeah. and you can't just Instagram your way through it. Mm -hmm. And like Instagram like 5% of it. Yes. <laughs> like none of, exactly. the, none of the gross stuff. Yes. It's crazy. No, it's, it's very interesting and it is also like makes it feel a lot more attainable mm -hmm. when you just say there's no fixed like timeline for this there's no fixed goal even like my goal is just to get up every day and be thankful that I got up and just let the day happen to me and see mm -hmm. what happens and obviously you know there's certain situations where you have to take a little bit more control but I think we all try to play that reality that we do control things a lot more than we do mm -hmm. <laughs> and there's a lot of liberty and like a lot of freedom in just letting the universe or whatever power you kind of subscribe to be in control and just say, okay, like I am not the decider here. I'm just going to do what I can and yep. things are going to happen. Yeah. And do the best you can. Yeah, do the best you can and yeah. that's okay. And even if you can't do the best you can one day, sometimes I get up and I'm like, this is not the best I can do. And I know that, Yeah. <laughs> but that's okay. Cause then maybe I'll try again tomorrow. Yes. Yeah. And that's okay too. Yes. But wow. Yeah. I think it's also hard because there's like no, like a full-time dance position doesn't exist. Well, that like, too, Even people right? that are like dancing for Limon company are only contracted it's for still like seasonal, September yeah. until may yeah and yeah. then they go on unemployment for four months yeah. like you know like it's there's no full-time dance gig unless i can't even think of one right now that would be well i think that's the thing too is that um, like yeah. even like as an artist i've also learned to and i noticed that i stopped saying dance artist mm -hmm. i've just said artist or creator mm -hmm. because i think a when lot you, of when you talk about yourself when i talk about myself yeah because i realized that there's a lot of like limitation that i put on myself when i identify with a specific kind of creative role and that anything that I'm doing that's creative in nature is art mm -hmm. and so it may not be like physical like fine art but any sort of creative nature is artistic so like there are roles that are more like a full time that are not necessarily dance like being a dancer mm -hmm. but they have creative elements or like you could be you could work as you know um, in PR for a dance company right like there's a lot of ways that I've realized that there's kind of ways to bridge the gap and mm -hmm. that's what I've been kind of doing that's what I'm doing in my current position where I'm um, the recruitment officer for the fine arts programs at York University and I've been able to bridge that gap and being like well this is a full-time position that I do and that I enjoy and that I get to use my creative side with the kind of strategic engagement like how do we reach these young artists and how do we inspire them and how do we kind of launch them into this future career and that's something that I can do that's creative and it's fun and it's art related but it's not just one thing 
And then yeah. it allows me the freedom to then do side gigs. And maybe I do like, right. like a dance thing. And maybe I collaborate with someone and like we mess around with like a ukulele and we make a song out of somewhere. Right. Like I don't have to just be one kind of artist. Totally. And so like, yeah, the flexibility and like the freedom of taking away those labels and just kind of having an umbrella term has allowed me to feel like I have success in a lot of ways because yeah. there's no one way to succeed. Right. Yes. But you, I think I was talking to you one time, Sadie, and that was like you working for York University in that position was like never, that wasn't your plan after, no, right? No, no. It just happened because of the pandemic yeah. and because you felt this like uneasy, unsteady, yeah. you couldn't get your footing on Yeah, this, and right? I felt like I needed yeah. to, well, I mean, I was like, okay, I needed some way to pay, pay my bills. And because I had done a lot of work as a student when I was in the dance program yeah. at York, I had the opportunity to do that. Like mm-hmm. I, I recognize that it's not something that you could necessarily step into. And I was very uh, grateful for the people who were able to connect me to those opportunities. But it was something that kind of, in a weird way, fell into my lap, like mm-hmm. in a sense that I wasn't planning and actively working for it. Mm-hmm. But once it kind of happened, I realized that having that nine to five was such a gift because it showed me that I do not want to fully rely on a freelance career. Right. And that yep. based on my mental health and my own sort of like issues, I need the stable paycheck. I need the fact that I know that I have XYZ benefits. I need the routine of understanding that, well, my nine to five is gonna more or less look the same week to week. And like, then I have the flexibility to create when it comes to me naturally and not because I have to feed myself. Yeah. And so that's kind of what I learned is that like, the more you, the more diverse you go in terms of your interests and your abilities and like what you do day to day, the more flexible you have with each, with each one. Mm. And so like I got the stability from, and the money from one job, which means that I can now create when I feel like it, when it comes to me and not because I'm like, I have to do this gig or else I literally cannot pay my rent. And then I'm just like throwing my artistry for the means of capitalism again, haha, always comes back. <laughs> and I'm not actually doing this because I want to be creative. And then I start hating being creative. Right. And so that allowed me to have a lot more ownership on my artistic career because it felt completely mine and not because I was doing it to contribute to the economy so that I can continue to live and eat and feed myself. Right. Because there is a lot of pressure with artists just to like, sometimes like to create bullshit yep. that like isn't good, but to make a living. It's all about production. Yeah. yeah. And I think that that is like, sometimes like not everything you make needs to be seen by a million people. Not mm-hmm. everything you make needs to be like a show or mm-hmm. sometimes it can just be for research purposes. But yeah. Like you said, you're try- constantly trying to monetize off of everything you yeah. make and you've put these hours into it and you've invested into it. So you think that it is possible to monetize off of it, but then you're just contributing to like a big puddle of bad shit sometimes, yep. you know? Like you see those like horrific songs that are on like the radio or on TikTok and you're literally like someone took the time out of their day to make this and their name is now attached to it. Mm-hmm. And like half of them, I'm just like, this is garbage. Mm. <laughs> and it's like, it's just like, we, why do we feel like the need to force out, like churn out art? Like it's like a factory just for the sake of saying like, I made this many songs this year. So like, that means that I'm a good artist. Mm-hmm. No, it doesn't. Like mm. you see these incredible artists that have like, and obviously at the beginning of their careers, they're probably acting more, but like, let's talk about Beyonce. Like when's the last time she's released an album? Yeah. Right. Like she hasn't just continued to, or Rihanna, right? Like yeah. they don't, can, obviously, yeah. I've recognized that they have a lot of uh, flexibility privilege, and privilege, yeah. yes. but they aren't like... You're also picking some of the biggest musicians in the world. <laughs> I know, and I don't know why I did that. I really don't. Okay. But the point being, I was just like, who hasn't released an album in a long time? Yeah. But the point being <laughs> is that like, I think some of the reason why I love their music so much is that when it comes out, I'm like, oh my gosh, this is so fresh. And like, I find that their albums have a lot more depth to them because they actually take the time to make them mm-hmm. instead yes. of just being like, okay... When's the last time I put out an album? Okay, that's too long. All right, we got about three months. Let's just slap together some stuff and throw it on out there. Yeah. Oh, like, right. yeah. Ariana Grande launched those, like, three albums. Exactly, like, right? And you, it, it just all the songs sound exactly. kind of the same. Exactly. Whereas, like, I mean, like, I mean, not so low-key. I, like, love Taylor Swift. But, like, <laughs> um, she releases a lot of music. She does. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. She does, but she's, she's also like, like re-releasing music, which I like, which from the past, which is like yeah. because of the whole and taking other ownership thing. on it. But yeah. it's I'll actually like allowing us to like rediscover music that was already iconic and she's not mm-hmm. cr- in this process she's not creating new music she's yep. just re-recording yeah mm-hmm. which is awesome yeah you know and she's so specific she's very like she puts like invests so much energy and time yep. to make every album different which i really respect yeah no it's definitely quantity over quality for me no quality over quantity oh my god that's so embarrassing <laughs> quantity over no quality. oh my gosh quality <laughs> over quantity i want the i want good stuff small of it not a lot of bad 
stuff. Yes, there. there's benefits <laughs> in, in in quantity sometimes. Like I yeah, said, to like sure. understand Practice. the research purposes. Oh yeah, 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 for sure. But I agree. I'm like much more. I feel like we just had this conversation too, actually, with these musicians that we were talking to about quality versus quantity. And yeah, yeah. I, I mean, there's benefits to both, and it really depends, I think, on the space and the time and what it is. Yeah. But well, I do also very much subscribe to the idea of like that failure is just one of the steps towards success. So mm-hmm. like you also like in order to get to the place where you're making that really rich music, like you do have to make a lot of things to kind of like the trial and the error, like the exploration, the research, mm-hmm. like you said. But I think it really comes down to the reason why you're making the quantity. And so like if you're making a lot of things because you're just like, I need to create and I need to like explore and I need to blah, 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 blah. That's one thing. But if you're making a lot of things because you're like, I need people to see that I'm working. I need mm. um, to, people to know that I'm here. I need this. Like if you're doing it for external valid- validation, then it's not worth doing. Yeah, it's not. Also, like you are not going to get the validation no. that you expect by doing this. Yeah. You know, you need to like you need to do things for yourself, because like even if doing something for someone else gets you somewhere, it's always going to be there in your like art or in your own self that you didn't do this for yourself exactly and it's going to exist there somewhere and it's not going to have the same kind of touch that it would if you did it because there was a reason inside you that you needed to make this for whatever like xyz but if you're doing anything for someone else whether it be artistry or just even in your relationships there's always going to be a part of you that knows it's not for you Mm -hmm. and it's going to affect the work you're making totally so yeah yeah it's also like I think important to understand that the process of failure in practice. Yes. Right? Like if you're doing something on a regular basis basis and it is accumulating towards something that they're like every time you do it does not have to be the same, nor does it have to be good. Exactly. Yeah. Well, like practice is progress, right? Like I yeah. hate obviously the and I think a lot of people don't really use the practice makes perfect anymore because a lot of people called uh, BS on that one. Yeah. <laughs> yes. But I love the practice makes progress and that's the whole thing is that I think it's cool too, and I was actually watching a TikTok about this the other day, and someone was saying like it's a TikTok so, or a TED Talk. A, 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 a TikTok. I don't watch TED Talk. You kidding me? I'm a attention span for that. <laughs> yeah. um, what is it? 2009. <laughs> like, I can't. Yeah. What is it? 2009. Yeah. Um, no, I. Uh, so I was watching a TikTok about how this person was saying like people always compliment me about my music and like oh. Uh, you're so good, like, um, how did you get so good? And she's like, practice. And I'm like, oh, you know, one day I hope I could be as good as you, like, but I could never do it. She's like, you could if you practiced. And it's like, oh, like, I, you know, I could only dream to have the gifts that you do. Like, it's not really gifts, like, I just practiced. And it's crazy how, like, and I do it myself. Like, I'll think, like, oh, well, I could never be that person because they just have those skills. And, like, yes, they might have talent, but they also put in the time and the effort and the growth Mm -hmm. to get to where they are. And no one was born this a superstar. Yeah. So it's crazy how much we just believe that when we see people succeeding and how it's so easy to just see like the tip of the iceberg and not see what's underneath it and then just kind of feel badly about yourselves because you're not as good as that person whereas you just didn't do the work that that person did and you could if you did it so yeah. right well, there is like natural ability <laughs> oh for person. sure like for and you sure. see that just in teaching young yes kids, for right? sure you're like, wow this this little rock star just yes. like immediately mobility yeah. in your hips and feet yeah um but like not saying that like the kid for example Actually, I'm not going to bring up this example. <laughs> I would, I'll tell you after. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah I want to hear it. Um, but anyway, there's, there's, there's natural ability that can yes. help carry people. Yes, for but sure. But I don't think that, like, strength and drive also can help. Oh, absolutely. You know? And yeah. I've seen, like, I've seen people, like, like, honestly, like, morph into new humans for, like, because they practice things. And it's not always just, like, a technical skill. Like, even just, like, within yourself, like, if you practice patience or if you practice... Um, like uh, self-esteem or if you practice uh, Mm. like conflict resolution um, or like even just approaching conflict, like you can change a lot just Mm -hmm. by practicing, even if it's something that doesn't come naturally to you. Mm -hmm. And like, you may not all, you may not get to be the best in that field. Like someone who has that natural talent might just be a little bit better than you or a lot better than you, but you're still going to be so much further from where you started Mm -hmm. just by doing it consistently. Mm -hmm. But no one wants to do that. So. Mm-hmm. practice is hard <laughs> I also wonder if there's like this like idolization yes. of success yeah. in the sense of like when we think of like athletes and musicians and the 1% of people that we see do super well is the idolization that the general public has of those people also stopping the humanization of them and be like they worked hard yes. or they have they've had 40 year long careers yeah. they've mm-hmm. been playing golf since they were seven you know what i mean like whatever it is is that like humanization of them not something we do because we want to idolize them yeah 
Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's crazy. Like the the idolization is a great point, and like I think it it happens with celebrities, but it also just happens like it's interesting how much we put pressure on ourselves in the sense that like everybody else is able to do these things, like they're able to fail, they're able to you know take make mistakes, but like I can't do that. Yes. So like we idolize people that are like maybe celebrities, but we also separate ourselves from like worthiness and patience and like like ability just because like I like I feel like and like I know that I do this but I feel like a lot of people do it where I'm just like I must be held to these like insanely high standards and I must not make mistakes and I must be perfect at all times meanwhile I don't expect that from anybody else in my life right why <laughs> and, like and everyone's yeah. like that so it's like well not maybe everyone but a lot of people are like that and it's just really crazy because like where does that come from and so mm-hmm. it's like it may it might be a celebrity and like I'm like well I could never be that person because they are so amazing and they had this like crazy success and I could never do that mm-hmm. right even though I know how they did it and I could also do that mm-hmm. but for some reason it just seems unattainable mm-hmm. hmm. and, like it's a sense of self-esteem it's a confidence but it's it's a secret yeah. <laughs> yeah secret it's just crazy like yeah. I don't know I just feel like there's like a lot of like like these like invisible gates in front of me and I'm like I can't break them yeah well I mean the unfortunate part about like with art too is that sometimes it's like so much about there is like such a portion of luck that oh yeah right timing timing. like hitting the right fad at the right time like seeing people meeting people it's so much it's so fucking weird the industry is so fucking weird (laughs) you know like we there's so many artists that like we see I remember I was at GMD actually one time in like 2017 and there's like some amazing dancers obviously and I forget who it was that we were speaking about but I was like man I looked over at a friend and I was like man that person is so talented and they were there were their response was it's such a testament to this industry that they aren't working because how can yep. someone be that good and not working in Toronto consistently yep well also in Toronto and I think in a lot of places there's a really very big problem with the concept of it being the same eight people and everything. Um, <laughs> the and same eight companies getting all the grant funding. <laughs> yep. And it really just comes down to like, well, how are we supposed to progress and discover new talent and like diversify our like artistic culture in Toronto or in anywhere in the world if we don't give opportunities to people who may not have as much experience or are people like me who are just starting out in their career and just are like barely even had the last two years to even do anything. How am I supposed to get to like this point in my career where I'm doing a lot of things if I am not given a chance at any point? And it's, I feel like a lot of industries are like that. Like I know like restaurants, for example, like anyone will say, well, you can't be a server without serving experience. Uh Okay. Well, like how am I supposed to do that (laughs) if I can't like explain to me how I'm going to do that. Lie on your resume. Right? Yes. yes. I mean, Are you looking for a serving job, Sadie? No, I'm not. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) I just, (laughs) oh my God, I would literally cry every five seconds. But uh, no, um, it's just crazy. Like it's a lot of that where it's like the gatekeeping culture of knowing, like it's like, it's all who you know. It's like, okay, well like that's privilege. Mm -hmm. Like being able to get to the point where you know those people comes from a privileged like systemic issue where you were given the opportunities to get to that room where you met that person that then gave you the next opportunity. Mm -hmm. So it's really unfair. And especially now that there's so, there's such a lack of like, uh, like open auditions. Like it's all about like open call or like submit a reel. But when they do that, they like, I hate that fucking submit a reel. It's such bullshit. And they don't watch them. You know, they don't watch them. They're literally like, who has an updated reel right now? They also know exactly (laughs) who they're going to cast and they'll just see the person's name and be like, Oh, I know that person. They can be in. Yeah. And they're like, they're going to see a new person that they don't know. And they're like, look at the reel. They're like, eh, well, I can know this person that I've worked with before. So I'll just go with them. Yeah. Yeah. And then that's how we don't get any new people. And then it just becomes the same eight people. And then it's also, it's a testament to the fact that like, how much art are we missing and how much amazing stuff are we missing because we're not giving people a chance. Yeah. I think TikTok was actually, I believe I mentioned TikTok like five times. (laughs) I think TikTok TikTok. is amazing. (laughs) And I say this all the time when people bash TikTok, I'm like, say what you want, but that did such an amazing revolution for any sort of arts industry because it allowed people who would have never gotten a chance to be acknowledged to have a platform to just launch a career they could have never dreamed of. And even people like um, Tom Rosenthal is one of those ones mm-hmm. who, he, the, he sings that God Stood Me Up song mm-hmm. and he posted something recently where he's like, I released this song like 10 years ago or something and no one listened to it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And now it's like one of the top songs on this platform because someone made a video of it and it became so popular. Mm-hmm. And now I have this entirely new life and career 
from a song that no one liked at the time. Yeah. Because yeah. it just, like you said, it wasn't the right timing. Yeah. And so, like, that's why I think, like, the, yes, like, there's obviously issues with, like, social media and the internet and all that stuff, but it does allow people who aren't necessarily getting those primary opportunities to then take a seat at the table. Mm-hmm. And that is so amazing. And that it does allow people who wouldn't have been seen before to kind of continue bridging that gap and making things better and bigger. I also think the amazing thing about TikTok is that it's so, the algorithm is so yes. specific yes. that it also, and I think Cassie, Cass talked about this, Cass Bratt from Calgary talked about this as like, you will find your people on TikTok. Yes. You will find your people and your people will find you and they will follow you and they will become loyal customers yep. because the algorithm is so niche yep. that those people want to see your stuff. Mm-hmm. It's not like just Instagram's feeding you whatever yep. and they're like people you don't even follow anymore. Mm-hmm. It's like the algorithm is so specific. It shows you exactly what you want. It's community. Yes. And yeah. it's that community that she's like, then I was able to take over to Instagram yep. and turn into customers. Yep. And you know, like I wouldn't have had that without TikTok. Yeah. So like I, I think is an important It's note. pretty crazy. Yeah. yeah. It's it's interesting how like you can reach people in such a different way and like that goes towards just like the method of like, well, how far can I go without kind of reaching and beyond my bounds mm-hmm. and how far can I go if I just push everything out to as far as I can like reach yeah. and then I just let it happen. Mm-hmm. So like just like even like Tom Rosenthal just kind of forgot about that song and moved on but it's on the internet and exists and then someone just found it and then all of a sudden like he just let the universe do it. He, yeah. took, he took a second and he took 10 years and then he was just like well I'll put it out in the universe and we'll see what happens and it took a while but yeah. the universe brought it back and was like here we go. Yeah. It's your turn now. Have you noticed, kind of like going back to what you were saying about the industry being, you know, the same, eight people being cast and Mm. stuff, and talking about diversity and, you know, have you noticed from the beginning, let's say the beginning of your career starting in university to where you are now, have you seen a wide change of casting happening? Have you Mm. seen the change of like bodies that are getting put on stage that are different? (sighs) No. No, no. <laughs> I think that there's certain types of diversity that people are prioritizing other others, and I'm not in no way saying that it's not important because I think that there's a certain, a certain t- like, um, there's a certain time for certain groups, and that uh, they need to get recognition because mm-hmm. of previous systemic issues and all that stuff, and that's incredible. Um, I just haven't really seen any sort of body diversity mm-hmm. a lot in of, the dance industry. In the dance industry specifically, yeah. and like as someone who is like has always been larger, who is like a plus size woman, like I have always struggled with that as a dancer mm-hmm. because I felt like I had this like I had to be like ten times as skillful to make up for the my body, which is like mm-hmm. really upsetting. But then I see like that you'd hope that with the push for diversity and like other methods, whether it be like racial um, like identity, whether it be uh, like uh, gender identity, sexuality, we're seeing more of that, mm-hmm. but it's still existing in, in small acceptable bodies. Exactly. And there's also a lot of like intersectionality within body image and the fact that like my experience as a plus size white woman is not the same as a plus size uh, woman of color. And right. so their story is just as important as a person of color, but also a person of color who is plus size. Mm-hmm. And so like, it doesn't have to be like, it's just crazy how, like, there's still a lack. And I feel like when you're talking about diversity, like, there's never going to be a chance where you you don't have more to improve on. Mm-hmm. But never. I think that we've focused a lot on some methods of diversity and forgotten about others. Mm-hmm. And with dance specifically, the whole concept of body image is not new. And it's not a secret that there's a big issue there. Yeah. Yeah. And that there's a lot of issues with fat phobia and projecting eating disorders. And, like, yes. it can be life or death circumstances in a lot of ways. And it just seems to be kind of those things that, the dance community is like, oh, it's a problem. Yeah, but we've got other things to deal with and we'll get there eventually. Right. And we're kind of like, okay, but like... Let's just put this on the back burner. So should like, I just yeah. be like waiting oh for my, my gosh. opportunity? Or should mm-hmm. I just like keep trying to get skinny? Or... Right. <laughs> yeah. Like it's just, it's sad. But, uh, and like, no, like I think like I've seen a very big push. Obviously you see that there's um, like a very big push with uh, submissions or auditions um, prioritizing like certain marginalized communities, which is amazing. And I Mm. think it's so important that it's being very open too, because it also um, creates that connection and allows people that are existing in those communities to feel like they are um, invited and that they are welcome that they are in a safe space. But I think there's always a way to push it further. 
yes. and that it needs to keep going. And especially in the dance community, we need to talk about body diversity. And it's not just about being plus size, it's also about disabled bodies. Mm -hmm. yeah. So like we abilities. need to, Abilities, yeah. yeah. So we need to talk about the diversity in bodies just in ability and even just like, yeah, like not even just about body size, but even just like shape, mm -hmm. like just like your body type. Like there's people who are super tall, like we talked about who often like, I see that like, people who are really tall, they'll be like, well, you can't get cast because like everyone else is shorter than you and you kind of stand out. Yeah. And it's kind of like, okay, but me standing out is a bad thing. Classic. Yeah. Or the opposite where they'll be like, well, we need really tall, beautiful dancers. And like, well, you're too short. And it's like, okay, well. The Rockettes. Yeah. Right. Like yeah. it's like, it's not all about like fatness. It's also about just like, there's one very specific body type that you see over and over and over again. Yeah. And that's one of a thousand. Yeah. And so why are there only those body types on stage? Yes. yes. And then choreographers that are, aren't under, like we were talking about before, not understanding difference of anatomy. Yes. So like short choreographers choreographing on like tall bodies or I, different yeah. bodies in, or in general, choreographing on bodies that you're not used to, that's not your own facility yeah. and not being understanding to comprehend the yeah. experience that the dancer's going through because their anatomy is different. Absolutely. And you I know? think that's especially with like, especially like, um, when you do have like dancers who might be disabled in a variety of reasons, whether that be a physical disability or even just like an invisible disability, there's really like an issue with, I think a lot of choreographers being like, well, this is how we do it. And so like, you got to do it like this. And it's like, okay, well like workplace accommodation, baby. Like that exists in art too. <laughs> yes. You know what I mean? Yes. Like, and we don't talk about that. Right. So like you can't expect a field to be completely free of disability. Mm -hmm. That's ridiculous. Yes. And like you need to be more, aware of how you could accommodate people in a variety of ways yeah and that comes from something as simple as saying okay well you know our tall people in the back might need an extra second to get up and down <laughs> I said that. you know she did she, she saved me it was like me and uh, like another girl rowan in the back like just oh, like so hustling yeah. trying to get like down and like as, as fast as we could but and rainy our tall queen was like okay like just like a millisecond longer for those two and we were like thank you but even just yeah like from like like even like so because i am like a human being with very severe ADHD, if that's not come across in my rambling. <laughs> um, I really try to approach my rehearsal spaces from an like accessible way. And that comes from a lot of different methods. And I always kind of say like, I'm going to give instruction. Tell me how I can give this instruction in a clear way. Mm -hmm. Tell me if you need me to repeat this. Tell me if you need me to shut up while you go make this solo and you mm -hmm. need 10 minutes alone. Tell me if you need me to come like up, like, come in and like see how you're doing like I'm all about like you tell me what you need to work the best that you can and I will do everything in my power to make that happen mm -hmm. and that's how it should be and it should be that from the get-go and there should be more kind of like not disclaimers but like more kind of upfrontness I guess there's no word for that I don't know mm -hmm. about that even in calls like I don't I never see like oh like if you're not able to submit in this method please contact this person for mm -hmm. accommodations where you see that on like job postings, mm -hmm. right? So like, like you said, maybe not someone is mm -hmm. able to submit a reel, right? Mm -hmm. And like, also like have, first of all, let's just talk about to submit a reel. What do you need? Uh, video footage. So past work. Yep. You also need a device. Yep. You need to, to know have how to the edit. technology to yep. edit or the money to pay someone. Or the money to pay someone. Yep. Yeah. You know, like you need all of these things that like, okay, well, computers, let's say you get the cheapest computer ever. That's still five to six hundred dollars. Let's say you have to buy some sort of software to accommodate that computer. Now that's maybe lowest form thirty dollars if we're talking about like once a month yep. subscription. Like there's all these price points that still barriers, are incorporated yeah. and barriers yeah. that aren't being considered when people are asking for reels. It's like yeah. when people are asking for headshots in the nineties and you're like, well, Headshots are fucking expensive. Yes. And like, I'm yeah. just carry these around. And you print them out. Ink expensive. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. And then it's oh, yeah, just inconvenient. I'm not carrying around a headshot. I can uh. carry around my own phone. Well, I guess not in the 90s is not an issue. But uh, no, yes. it's 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 definitely interesting. And I, I try to draw a lot of parallels, um, especially in this like, <laughs> especially in this like transition because I am like going towards uh, like my current contract's ending. Um, so I'm going towards like. Um, the job search and I do I spend a lot of time doing like reading job descriptions and mm -hmm. kind of learning about their their onboarding mm -hmm. process and all that stuff and I try to draw a lot of parallels between the way that the like more corporate I guess industry works and the arts industry works and there's been such a push for the mental health and the accessibility and the accommodations in the corporate industry that hasn't necessarily caught up in the artistic mm -hmm. industry and I think there's this concept of like well you should be so lucky to have gotten this opportunity that you should just have to make it work and we're just going to kind of do what we can and you gotta figure it out. Mm -hmm. Whereas like, no, like 
you are just as fortunate to have me and my work in your space as I am for yours because mm-hmm. this is a mutual agreement and a mutual relationship mm-hmm. and the hierarchy then separates that ability to actually like give proper accommodation and accessibility because they're kind of like, well, you know, you should be so lucky. And so like, you're asking me for a lot right now. I'm like, no, I'm not. I'm asking you for accommodation so that I can properly succeed in this work environment. Yeah, of course. And I think treating it like a more professional work environment would help with that. Yeah, for sure. Yes. Um, Because you're in recruitment, Mm -hmm. I think that like a lot of issues with, that we're seeing kind of at this professional level of dance, like trying to hire, you know, different types of groups of people and there's excuse that companies are using is like, oh, well, like nobody of that group submitted, mm-hmm. which is true. Like dance, the system, the racism is systematic in this system in the sense that like it's starting from like privilege and being allowed to be in dance classes and be in dance spaces at five years old, right? Again, it costs money. These are all barriers for people. Are you seeing it as a recruiter fixed when you're going into these places to like try and encourage young artists yeah, to be at for the university? Sure. So, I think there's no, there's like, I think it's, there's definitely ways that people are, are working towards it in like, just like in any sort of like post-secondary fine arts institution. But as a recruiter, like that was my number one. And so like, and my directors as well, like that's always been our number one goal, especially at York is to really promote accessibility for a wide variety of dimensions. And a huge part of that is addressing that there is a systemic issue with the, um, the privilege of fine arts training, whether that be dance, whether that be film, whether mm-hmm. that be music. Mm-hmm. Like musicians, instruments are expensive. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Private mm-hmm. lessons are expensive. Like yes. there's a lot of privilege that goes into that. And it's also very indicative of like the community that you grew up in and the opportunities that you had accessible to you. So someone in Canada versus someone on the other side of the world didn't have even the same exposure to the same opportunities, let alone like the quality of those opportunities. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So we do really make an effort. Yes, like we are bringing these people in and we are saying, okay, like you're gonna succeed and we wanna give these tools, but what are we doing once they come in the school to promote their success, right? right? Yeah. And so that's a huge focus. Um, but it's interesting. It's a very interesting thing. And I think it's also very, um, it's very sad <laughs> to see that there's a lot of people that will say, yeah, well, they just don't apply. And like, that's like, so what? Like, you know, like, it's an just, excuse, first of all, and I exactly. And so yeah. I actually had that ex- very same experience very recently in this month because I'm doing a dance film and I put a casting call out for um, people who identify with a certain experience that uh, was about, you know, like body image and, um, maybe existing in like maybe a more larger marginalized body, but really it was just about if you could experience anything related to eating disorder, oh my God, eating disorders, fat phobia, body yeah. image, all that stuff. <laughs> and I got submissions that were awesome, but they were all from one group of people. Mm. And I was like, nope. I, uh, as a white creator, have a responsibility to put as much effort as I can into making sure that there are a variety of stories and experiences shared. So I took it upon myself to make personal, like, like I, I went and I, I asked people, I was like, Hey, like, I would really love to hear your story and your experience. Mm-hmm. And please let me know how I can make this work for you. Like we can limit the amount of rehearsals mm-hmm. because at the end of the day, it is my job. If I'm making a film about something as serious and as like, like important as like body image and eating disorders, like my experience as, uh, the person I am and the privilege that I've had as a plus size woman is not going to be the same as someone else's. And so that type of experience needs the diversity in general. Mm-hmm. And it would have been so easy for me to just say, well, you know, only some people submitted and we're going to take those. And like, that's just what it is. And like, no one can right. get mad at me because it's not my fault. And ha ha ha. Mm-hmm. I was like, no, I'm going to put as much effort and like exhaust all the options that I have and do as much like personal messaging and like posting on other places that I didn't before and trying to send the word out as much as I can. And if it still doesn't work, then that's fine. Mm-hmm. But at least I know that I made every effort that I could to do the best that I could in that sense. And yeah. I think that should be what, and not to like post myself up, but I think that's what everybody should be doing. You also have answers then for like, if people at like, yeah, you can be like, I did, I tried, yeah. you know, like yeah. I it was really like on the forefront of my brain. For sure. Yeah. Well, and, and like at the end of the day too, it's like, it's also, and it's, it's really like, it's also in an effort not to, to avoid tokenizing too. Right. right. Cause that's really not what it's about. It's, mm-hmm. It's for me, it was about, well, I'm sharing a story that it's very much about personal experience and the way that you're perceived in the world. Mm -hmm. And I can't have that story coming from one incredibly majority group. Yeah. Like that's just 
stupid. <laughs> like, mm-hmm. like that's just dumb, and I would hate that. And if I watched that, I would be like, this is stupid. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so I would, yeah, this also takes away from the research part aspect exactly. of the film, yeah. right? Like, you're limiting yourself in that field. Exactly, yeah. exactly, yeah. So I was like, no, I'm going to do as much as I can. And like I said, but this goes back to the whole, the accessibility and the accommodation is that I was like, well, I value these people as artists and their experiences and their stories. So what can I do to make their process as easy as possible so that they can see it in this way? Mm-hmm. And I recognize that there's not always as much flexibility that is available, mm-hmm. but I do subscribe to the idea that there's always something more that can be done. And there's always like another solution that you haven't tried out yet. There's always an, yes. a way that you can maybe make it work. And if you're just, like if you're exhausting all the options, like I said, that's fine. Yeah. But if you're just saying, well, you know, it's not probably not gonna work out that great and I don't really wanna have that issue, then, Exactly. Yeah. It's also like a, woe is me, you know? Yes. Totally. Um, Keep going. Okay. I think we were just, I was going to ask the last question. Oh my gosh. Sadie. Last question. Yeah. Is being an artist fucking killing you? Yes. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. Yes, Yes, it is. It is. Um, It is. But it's also, it's also keeping me alive. So I think that's interesting. Right. Like it's, it's one day it's the worst thing that's ever happened to me. And one day it's the best thing that's ever happened to me. And I think that's a very... It's a very interesting experience, but it's also such a beautiful thing to experience the ups and downs of something because they say, like, even they say things with loss, right? Like, when you lose something or someone, it's such a thing to be thankful that you got the chance to experience it in the first place. Mm-hmm. And so I think that's how I feel about artistry. So, like, yes, there's days that it kills me, but the days that it lifts me up and gives me reason to live are, makes it worth it. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. Mm-hmm. Nice. Thanks, Sadie. Um, if people are wanting to find you, where do they look? Yes, yeah, so I'm on Instagram at Sadie Cal, S A D I E C A H I L L. And then I actually am starting to launch my own production company, uh, which will be called Brickhouse Productions. And it's not on Instagram yet, but it will be very soon. Mm-hmm. Nice. So that will be at maybe Brickhouse Productions if I get the handle, question mark. <laughs> Yay. But uh, yeah, so, but Sadie Cal, and uh, I will be, yeah, premiering my dance film Shrink as part of Let's the Elephants Dance Showcase, which is virtual, um, on the June 17th and 19th. Cool. Um, and so that's, that's the film I was talking about. So. Yeah. yeah. Thanks, Sadie. Thanks. It was fun to be here. So fun. You. If you guys liked today's episode, if you want to hear more, hit us up at anywhere at Gapal Prods. Um, you can find us, listen to us, go to our Patreon, support us, leave us a review, ask us a question. Tell us you're obsessed with us. Tell us you hate us. Whatever it is, just let us know. (laughs) Like, comment, subscribe. Like, comment, subscribe. Thank you so much, and we will see you next week. Bye. Bye.